You're running an offsite next month, but you've never done that before. Where do you start? Or perhaps you have run an offsite before, but you walked away from the last one feeling like it could have done more for your team. On this episode, how to plan, facilitate, and follow up from your offsite. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 377. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. On this episode, how to think about, plan for, facilitate, and follow up doing an offsite. Uh, offsite is something that many of us have been a part of. Uh, some of us have led offsites. And yet, it is one of those things that there's an expectation in a lot of organizations, formally or informally, that we do offsites as leaders. And yet, almost never is there an instruction manual or even really any formal direction within the organization of how to do an offsite. And I find myself also, you know, really inadequate if, if being able to give advice on this when asked because I've been involved in very few offsites myself. And as I'll share in a moment, it's just been some fun, interesting stories of being involved in offsites over the years. Today, I am thrilled to welcome back to the show uh, my friend and expert executive coach and facilitator, Tom Henschel. Tom is a talented executive coach. He is also the host of the show, The Look and Sound of Leadership. I know many of you listen to that show as well as a compliment to Coaching for Leaders. Uh, Tom has been in this industry for a long time, has a ton of experience of coaching executive leaders, but also of facilitating offsites. And I didn't even realize until recently how often Tom does this as part of his work. And Tom, I'm so glad to welcome you back for this conversation. I'm always glad to be back, Dave. Thanks. So I alluded to the fact of having some funny stories about offsites. One of the the more interesting things I remember from years ago in my work with Carnegie, I was invited to attend an offsite of an executive leader that we were supporting. And we were not facilitating it, but uh, I was asked to help out during part of the offsite for about a half hour with a particular exercise. And I got the invitation to come to the offsite. And I remember being so confused because it wasn't offsite. <laughs> I get this invitation and it's in the building that the team worked in. And not only is it in the building, it's in the conference room they meet in every day. And right. I, I remember calling up the administrative assistant and I sort of I sort of felt funny making the call because I'm like, am I missing something obvious? <laughs> but I, so it says offsite, but it's in the building. Like, am I missing something? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. The offsite's right here. <laughs> right. The offsite is on site. <laughs> so it was like the first of many situations in my career where I've been, I, I found the, the, just the term and the experience of offsite, uh, you know, a little confusing and nebulous. And I think that's actually a good lean into this conversation because like you have, I'm sure, I've gotten a lot of questions from leaders of saying, well, I'm doing an offsite or I'm thinking about an offsite or I'm expected to do this. Where do I start? And I'm hoping that we can answer some of those questions today in this conversation. Absolutely. I hope so too. So let's start at the beginning. And I, I guess maybe here's the obvious question of 
you know, what is an offsite and why would you even want to do this uh, other than someone says you need to do this? Right. So an offsite, as you've already observed, does not actually have to be offsite. What it is, is it's an, a time when the team is going to gather together, put up some boundaries and focus on whatever the goals for the offsite are. And when I talk about putting up some boundaries, what I mean is this. I, it's funny, just, I don't know, two weeks ago, I did an offsite for a team and we met in their conference room where one wall is all glass. And what was great was no one all day long who was not part of the team, no one came in that room. Mm. No one came in and pulled the leader out or said, oh, there's this thing. The team had made it very clear, pretend like we're not here. And that way they made it their quote unquote offsite by creating special time just for the team to work. So that's what an offsite is. It's a special time for the team to be together. So the boundaries are a framework of expectations that are set in advance, not only for that team, but potentially the others in the organization or in the ecosystem that might want to interact with that team as far as we're creating this space to work on this on this particular day. Right. And look, even if you're going to be in some resort and you know away in some beautiful place, the rest of the organization needs to know we're gone. And unless there's a calamity, you know, please don't text us. Don't shoot us emails. We're not going to be responsive. We're gone. We're working. And so that set kind of setting up boundaries, I think, is one part of the planning is let the other people know. And then, of course, you need to get your team involved. The leader, the leader's job in the very first place is set the goals. Why would you have an offsite? Why would you get your team together and create this special time? I've done offsites that are a half a day, but I've been part of offsites that are four days, depending on what the team needs to do. And sometimes, by the way, part of it is recreation. You know, I've been with teams that are going kayaking in the ocean and going to cooking contests and doing all kinds of things. And it's part of their offsite together. So the team leader needs to figure out in the before phase, why are we having an offsite? There are two questions that I ask leaders all the time. They are, number one, what do you want the team to know that they don't know now? Or what do you want them to be able to do that they can't do now? So that's one way to think about an offsite is like, what are we trying to accomplish? A different way of asking the same question is I ask leaders a lot of times, so look, what pain are you trying to relieve with the offsite? Mm. What's not going well that you want to be better? And those two questions I think are helpful for team leaders to start wrapping their heads around. Yeah. What are we really trying to do? What are some answers you've heard to those questions of why we're doing this? Either something that a leader wants people to know or a pain that's trying to be alleviated. Great. So here are some typical goals. And I, I, I'm going to try and put them in two different categories. One category is really tangible results. We need to fix a process. We need to implement a plan. We need to 
create some change in this part of our organization. Those are tangible things that we're going to be able to measure. And those kind of goals are great. Another kind of goal might be a, quote, intangible or harder to measure goal, like improved communication, increased trust, strengthen our interactions with each other, change how we think about our customers. Those are more intangible, but they also might be goals for the offsite, and they're legitimate goals. Mm. The fact that they're harder to measure doesn't mean they're not legitimate. Mm, makes sense. Okay. So once you have a clear sense of the answer to one or both of those questions, then I'm guessing that's where some planning starts of thinking through what you would do and why you'd spend a half a day versus four days or what kind of venue it would be. What are the kinds of things that you see leaders grappling with at that point? And also maybe what are some of the things that that leaders should be thinking about that they may not think about early on in the planning stages? Well, so first off, let's just talk budget. What about lunch? What about dinner? I mean, what about going away for four days? I mean, I just was with some people at a resort up in Ojai, California. I only came in for the final half day of the event. They'd all been there two days before that. So, you know, that was an expense that that company laid out for those people to travel and stay at this lovely resort and all. So you need to figure out your budget. The other thing that might get included in a budget is a facilitator. You know, is you, are you as the leader going to do this all by yourself or are you going to get some help? And is it going to be outside help or internal help? Are you going to have guests? By the way, the night before I got there, the CFO and two of his senior people were addressing the team and they were on a panel and they all went out to dinner together, you know? So that was another way that that leader got support was by involving the senior level executives. So I think that's one thing to think about is who's going to help you? What's your budget? And that's going to influence a lot of choices. Then there's something else. And now I think this really goes more to your question, Dave, which is what are you going to do for an agenda? I don't think it's a great idea to treat an offsite like a staff meeting that's just bigger, longer, stronger on steroids. So, hey, at our staff meeting, we all report out to each other and, you know, we all have about, you know, seven or eight minutes to do that because we're, we're all rushed. But, hey, now we're going to go to an offsite and everybody can report out to each other for an hour. It's like, oh, my gosh, really? Mm-hmm. You're going to go to an offsite and do PowerPoint all day? No. Don't. I mean, even if it's in the conference room, that's not a great use of offsite. I think an offsite is a great chance for people to talk together and have experiences together that you just don't have time for in other places. So you're going to create an agenda to achieve the goals. And what I would like to push your listeners towards is to create activities and experiences and exercises. This is kind of a key thing. I, I mean, there's two questions that are coming up for me. Thinking about facilitation, outside of just the budget, why have someone from the outside come in or internally versus you doing it yourself? I think there's two things. One is facilitators, people like me who are outside consultants who've been facilitating for a long time, they just have a big bag of tricks. And so, you know, I'm skilled at facilitating the way someone else might be skilled at creating a budget or managing a team. I've been working on my facilitation skills for literally decades and getting a lot of feedback and getting better. I'm better now than I used to be. So 
that's one thing. But here's the second idea, which I think is really important for leaders to think about, which is, you know, Dave, if you're leading a team, you're going to take the team offsite. You're now going to lead that team for several days and try and achieve these goals that you have set. If you're the only person in the room who's responsible, it's a little bit like you are driving the bus and trying to be a passenger on the bus at the same time. It's hard. It's hard work mentally. You're trying to keep track of what's happening. You're trying to own the content. You're trying to make sure there are clear deliverables. Did we reach agreement? All that stuff. And you also want to participate and influence and, and guide. It's really hard to do both. So one of the things that I hear from leaders all the time when they get someone like me in the room is a kind of relief of like, oh, I don't have to drive the bus anymore. I can just get in the back of the bus and be a participant and have an opinion and just kind of, I don't have to pay attention to all that work. So that's one of the big reasons, I think, why you might think about getting some help. Or by the way, it might even be to pass a whole part of the day off to someone else, even someone on your team, to give it to someone and say, you're going to do that whole thing where we're going to do role clarification. That's yours. And you have from one o'clock till four o'clock. So a lot of different ways to approach that. And I think that also leads into my second question, which is you mentioned the value of taking time here, not to do just an extended staff meeting, but to really have activities and experiences that get to the objectives. And I think that I, I know if I was sitting down to think to plan out an, an, an offsite for an entire day, that it would take me a while to think through that. I'm guessing for a lot of people listening, like, they're thinking like, gosh, that's not my skill set. <laughs> that's not right. something I don't know how to put together the right exercises, the right experiences. And so for the kind of leader who, for whatever reason, decides, either because of budget realities or just logistics, that it doesn't make sense to have someone come in from the outside to put that together. What are even the resources to be thinking about? Like, How would I start to craft that kind of experience for my team? Okay. So I'm just going to tell you some resources because there are a lot of resources out there. Look, I, I've learned this stuff partly from my colleagues and I've, by observing or assisting or whatever, I, I, I've learned things just by being in that business. But also there's a lot of resources. What I find is that once you as a team leader have set a goal, somebody has probably been there before, which means somebody has probably created an, an exercise that you could find. So I'm going to just name some resources. Let me start with a book. It is not online. It is actually a three ring binder. It's really old school, but it's about 400 pages of exercises that you can do. And it is written for just the generic person. You do not need to be a skilled facilitator. It is my Bible. I would not survive without this book. It's fantastic. It's called the field book of Team Interventions. That's the title, The Field Book of Team Interventions by Harry Eggleton. Huh. And it is great, friendly, easy, and it covers all kinds of topics from role cl clarification to setting values to mission statements to conflict to just all kinds of things, basic leadership things. And it has lots of ideas, lots of processes, lots of tools, really helpful. So that's one thing. 
Another is an online resource. There's actually an app for it now, but they have a website. All their material is free. They have great exercises. It's called Liberating Structures. So liberatingstructures.com. Their app is the Liberating Structures app. Really helpful. There's a couple of exercises of theirs that I've been using for years. They never fail. They're great stuff. Liberating Structures. A third one is something that I hope a lot of your listening audience already knows, which is the five dysfunctions of a team. In the back of Patrick Lencioni's book, where he describes the model, he then gives you tools for each of the five dysfunctions. And he describes them at a moderate level of detail. But then he wrote a follow-up book called The Field Book. And it's uh, the exact title is Overcoming the five dysfunctions of a team, a field guide. And it is nothing but resources and exercises and explanations. And literally it's written for leaders, managers, and facilitators, a great tool. That's number three. And here's number four, which is just a blast. I hope everybody does this. This is so great. There is a guy named Tiagi. He's an Indian man. His name is spelled T-H-I-A. G-I, Tiagi. Tiagi Tiagi.com has games. Tiagi is hysterical. I've seen him speak probably three or four times. He is a riot. But what he has are what he calls jolts. And you can do a jolt anytime. And on his website, they're all free, are jolts, hundreds of them. And some of them are one minute long and some of them are 10 minutes long, but they're just things to get people they, you might think of them like icebreakers. They're things to do after lunch. They're things that just get people kind of thinking and alert, and they're fun. And again, they're all on his website, and if you follow the directions, they work. This all leads, of course, to the actual event itself. So we've been talking about, a lot about the preparation. When the day is there, whether it is a day or maybe two days or half day, what are the kinds of things that you found that have been really helpful that leaders do during the offsite that help them to answer the big questions? This is complicated for me because really skilled facilitation is an art, not a science. One of the things that I tell people when they want to talk with me about facilitation is think about this as the facilitator, Now, let's imagine that might be you as the team leader, but it might be someone like me or it might be an HR person, whatever. As the facilitator, every time you open your mouth, you change what comes next in the room. And as a facilitator, every time you do not open your mouth, you change what comes next in the room. So facilitation is an art. And you need to have that sense of you are driving the bus and you can't let the bus go over the cliff. And what does that mean? And how much open dialogue do you want to have? When is dialogue productive? When is it not? I mean, that's art, right? It is not, there's no prescription for that. So that's one of the big things that I want to start with about the during is how comfortable are you? leading process because that's what we're talking about now we're talking about process i'll give you one more which is one of the things that i see some team leaders do 
really, really well is at the beginning of sections of the offsite. So it might be the opening morning. It might be after lunch. It might be at the end of a day. It might be at the beginning of day two, whatever. The leader is very clear about what's about to happen and why. In other words, I put this on the agenda because we are about to do something where we're going to talk about clarification of goals for the team for the next quarter, and here's why. And it it's not a speech. It's not 10 PowerPoint slides. It's, you know, 90 seconds of really clear thinking that helps people get their minds in the game. What are we about to do? I hope that leaders are doing that. One of the concepts that I was taught as a Carnegie facilitator early on was this, these three words, why before what, of always either explicitly or implicitly framing the why are we about to do what we're about to do, <laughs> that there's That's some great. context yeah. that frames that. And I'm hearing you echo that same thing mm-hmm. of if we can help make what may be apparent in our minds as the leader slash facilitator slash whatever whatever role we call that to everyone else in the room, that that helps to make the connections toward what the question is we're trying to answer. Right. And it is the leadership opportunity. That's why you're the leader is you get to say that. I love why before what. It's a really simple thing. And again, I just want to say that is part of the leader's pre-planning. Don't leave that part out is, you know, don't imagine you can just walk into the room on the first morning and just wing it. That's not helpful. This is an event. You know, I often say that this is like, you know, planning your sister's 40th birthday party or something. You know, you are not the center of attention, but you want things to go well. And when things go well, the guests don't notice how hard you worked. Mm. Well, this is it. Another part of the during and Dave, I know you've talked about this on your show and I've talked about it on the look and sound of leadership. The idea of being in command of good questions, just the difference between open-ended questions and closed-ended questions, being clear what you're asking for. And by the way, it's not that closed-ended questions are bad. Sometimes you need to get to conclusions. You need closed-ended questions. I'm just saying, be conscious of which you are asking. If you want the team to go into a conversation for 20 minutes and talk in partners or in triads, you better ask them an open-ended question and not a closed-ended question. And you better have framed it so that you get the result you want. Well, that's hard. You know, that's hard work to frame those questions up. I spent a lot of time thinking about what's the right question. And again, I think a lot of times leaders think, well, I'll just make it up in the moment. It's like, oh, don't. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, indeed. indeed. That said, though, you know, events happen. So there is a suddenly open dialogue and suddenly you're 30 minutes into a really intense conversation about, you know, who really is our customer. And these are intense conversations and you need to be able to, you know, help keep the bus stay on the road. And that means asking good questions or reflecting back what you're hearing or summarizing all those things that are kind of the art of facilitation. That's a during skill that happens during the event. One other thing I'm curious about with the during is 
if you have an outside facilitator and they are like someone like you, Tom, very skilled and, and very capable of leading that entire event, is there something that the leader should still own? Is there a why component that they should still own and be very present for bringing that out at certain points? There are two ideas that I have about this. One is the leader, I think, can be very deliberate about whether she or he speaks first or last. If this leader speaks first with a strong opinion, clearly that influences what comes next. I have certain leaders who say, I never go first, because if I go first, I'm never going to hear what people really think. Everybody's going to try and kind of align with me. So I never go first. And that's okay. It's not, by the way, the only way to do it. I'm just saying that leader who said that to me was very intentional. So I think that's one way that you can use your facilitator is to decide, do you want to weigh in first or weigh in last? Here's the second thing. I tell leaders this all the time. In fact, I just had this conversation with a guy recently where I was working with his team. I said, look, this is not like theater where we can't break the fourth wall and we have to pretend that we're all acting and it's all fine. I said, you can interrupt me. You can do a process check. You can ask where we are in time. You can say, I don't think we're having the right conversation. You can give me feedback in front of the group because that helps the group. Hmm. So I want the leader engaged with me. I'm driving the bus. If the leader thinks I'm not on the right lane, well, the leader should tell me and not wait for a break and then come up and go, Tom, I really think what you should be doing is this. It's like, why didn't you just tell me in front of the group? That's good. So I think that's one of the gifts that you have as a co-facilitator is that sometimes the leader and the facilitator or the co-facilitator can actually have a conversation about what's working in the room and what's not. And the team gets to witness that. And it makes the team aware of communication. I uh, think it's a great thing. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I'm guessing if that conversation hasn't happened in advance, I mean, you're really, you're really conscious of having that conversation with people when you work with them in advance. But even if you want to do that, you may not feel comfortable in the moment of doing that. So if you are able to set that expectation beforehand, mm -hmm. then that opens up the opportunity for that to happen. Yes. And listen, uh, here's a variation on the theme is I will often stop something and look at the leader and be very clear that I'm really connecting with the leader and look and I'll say, you know, Dave, are we doing the right thing right now? And often there's this sense of uh, like, oh my gosh, I'm exposed or, you know, we're breaking the fourth wall or whatever. And the leader will give a kind of reflexive answer. And then I'll often stop and go, can we just talk about that? And suddenly we're having a conversation in the room about goals. What are we hearing? And the team gets to listen to that process. That's a good thing. Mm, I, I love that. I love that. One of the things that you have told me is that you, not always that this happens, but, but enough that it happens where you get to the end of the offsite and the leader either says this explicitly or because of their behavior, they kind of do a, great, we're done. <laughs> and aren't necessarily thinking consciously about what happens next. And my sense is a good offsite is the start of a process, not the end of a process. Yes. How do you bring this out? And what are the misses? Like when you see someone missing this opportunity, what is it they're missing? 
planning an offsite is suddenly putting more work on your plate as if you didn't have enough, right? Suddenly you have to do all this thinking ahead of time and create an agenda and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And you want to just go to the offsite and do the work and then it's done. And I understand why the leader wants that, but I want to say, no, no. If the offsite was really productive, it creates more work. It creates the plan that now needs to be implemented. It creates the change that we need to shepherd. It creates the new process or whatever that needs supervision. So you're actually making work for yourself when you go on an offsite. And many leaders are surprised by that. Uh, and they, they just haven't thought about it. Like, oh, that's right. We're going to go on this offsite. And come back with more work. And not only are they surprised, their team is surprised. So look, one of the things you need to decide in the offsite is, <laughs> we do this all the time, where we're, we get three quarters of the way through an exercise. And what's really clear is the last quarter is not going to happen in this room. This is going to happen at your next staff meeting or the next three staff meetings. You guys know how to do it. You don't need me anymore. Now you know what to do. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Well, that means... Time has to be made on the agendas or a new meeting needs to be called or a committee needs to be formed or something. And my point with the leader is the leader should know what commitments are being made. What are the deadlines? Who owns what? The leader doesn't need to own it all. That's not the point. It doesn't all have to fall on the leader's shoulders, but the leader has to manage the work and be sure that, you know, she knows that she's got this committee and how's it going and follow up. And this guy knows that he's got that project and follow up. So often I think leaders kind of miss that. One more thing that I think is a really low-hanging fruit that some people get it and some people don't. Often what happens in an offsite is an experience that everybody shares or a way of thinking or a piece of language that happens. And it's a bit like, for example, seriously, like if if your family and my family went on a trip together, you and I would then be able to reference, you know, that stop that we made in Barstow and, oh my gosh, do you remember when the kids were going crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. It's shorthand for something that you and I both remember and has meaning for us. It's language. And what I want to say is it's the leader's opportunity to adopt the language of the offsite and use it repeatedly so people don't forget. One of the simplest examples of this is if you go and do a behavioral assessment like Myers-Briggs type indicator or DISC, that then suddenly everybody has language that they've all learned. It's jargon before the offsite, but afterwards the leader has the opportunity to drive the language into the team. So it's not jargon and everybody remembers it. And that's a great opportunity. Well, and, and also great. It sounds like is that work does come out of an offsite that if, if work is coming out, if there's work to be done and if there's those opportunities that that's the sign that, you've created some really good things that you hopefully got pretty close to meeting the objectives that you wanted to meet. Right. Yes. And I'm just saying it is surprising to me how often leaders are kind of like, what? Wait, I have more to do? <laughs> but, but yes, yeah. it's exactly the logic that you just said, right? When you say it like that, it's so obvious. And I just want to say people are often surprised. Well, I think it's like anything in life. If you know going into it that you're going to come out of it with some work, some commitment, and maybe you've even thought through that on your calendar, then you allow for the space and the openness to do that versus if you go into something thinking like, well, when this event is done, I, that's one less thing I have to worry about. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of 
agenda items appear. I, I know I've gone into situations like that where I've you know been a little more resistant, like oh my gosh, I didn't think about all this extra time that I'm gonna have to put into this, whatever it is. Well, Dave, um, you're you're talking about setting expectations, yeah, right? yeah, and for so, myself, not even for the right. group, like just as, as thinking about it from a a leadership standpoint and just me talking to myself. So it it might be the leader self managing, as in right, knowing that I have I'm gonna have more work and more things to manage when I come back. But also, by the way, that's another opportunity to involve the team even before you go. We're going to do these three things and we'll bring them back from the offsite. You know, you can manage the expectations of the team too. Hmm. Tom, this is just so helpful. I know it's going to be valuable for everyone who is uh, thinking about an offsite or is in the process of planning one. So we have captured a ton of resources that Tom mentioned, especially the list of resources here on the show notes that'll be in this week's weekly leadership guide. I have two calls to action for you. One is if you're not already listening to Tom's excellent podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, he captures a wonderful skill that is valuable for leaders every single month. It's a once a month show. I encourage you to listen as many in our community do. The second thing is if all of this just stressed you out today, thinking about all this, just <laughs> just hire Tom. <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> the thing I didn't know, Tom, I didn't appreciate this as many times as you and I have talked about the work you do. You do as much of this as you do coaching and even a little more so right now, which is just really fascinating to me, the importance and the value that this experience brings and done well and thought through well. And offsite can be a really important starting point and jumping off point for a team. So thank you for all the wonderful work you're doing. My pleasure. And I hope people, you know, get in the driver's seat and learn the skill and have joy with it. It's, it's a fun thing. If you know a colleague who's planning an offsite right now, please pass this conversation along to them. Thanks in advance if you do. Tom also mentioned a number of resources that he relies on in planning and facilitating offsites. I have detailed all of those in the notes. They're also going to come to those of you who received the weekly leadership guide with the free membership this coming Wednesday. So watch for all of those links. In addition to the links we discussed, there's one additional resource that will be helpful to you. Tom just aired an episode on his own podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, earlier this month, also titled Leading Offsites. It's a slightly abridged version of what we talked about today. And in addition, though, Tom actually mentioned a few things that we didn't talk about in this conversation. So if you are looking for more and would like some additional perspective from Tom, I'd encourage you to check that out. That link will be in the weekly leadership guide as well. In addition to that episode, several other related past Coaching for Leaders episodes that will be of value to you if this conversation was useful today, all of them somewhat related to leading offsites. Uh, one of them is episode 138, The Four Unique Types of Teams. Susan Gerke was on that episode as my guest, and Susan and I discussed the different kinds of teams and how they emerge in organizations. It is, I think, a mistake to assume that every team is created equal. And there are certain kinds of patterns that we should be thinking about 
when considering how we're leading a team, how we're creating expectations and guidelines for the team, and especially useful as you're planning something like an offsite. If you haven't previously done a lot of thinking on what kind of team you're leading, I think episode 138 will get you thinking in a lot of ways of how different kinds of teams come together. Also from Susan Gerke is episode 192, how to create team guidelines. Susan has an extensive history and experience working with teams doing offsites and executive retreats in helping especially new and forming teams to create guidelines. If that is not something that your team has done before, uh, I think you'll find episode 192 extremely helpful. It's also a potential activity, an important one to do at an offsite. And many folks in our listening community have found that episode to be extremely helpful, especially when taking over a new team or putting together a team for the first time. So again, episode 192, how to create team guidelines. And finally, I'd recommend episode 224, how to lead through uncertainty and change. Jacqueline Farrington was my guest on that episode. We talked about what are the ways and how to communicate change and uncertainty to a team, as you would imagine. That is sometimes the reason that prompts an offsite is there are a lot of changes happening. There's uncertainty going forward, and the team is trying to process that. And so episode 224, if you find yourself in that situation, also be of great value to you. You can access all of those episodes by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast. That will give you access if you already have your free membership set up. If you don't have it set up, it'll prompt you to set up your free membership, and that will give you access to all of the past episodes searchable by topic. It'll also give you access to my weekly leadership guide that comes on email every Wednesday, plus my own personal library of all the articles I track down, our member cast, the 10-day audio course. (laughs) Believe it or not, there's more than that too. So set up your free membership if you haven't done so already. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com right on the main page there. You will see a place to activate that completely free, lots of resources available to you. And I look forward to seeing you there with the other 12,000 people now that have set up the free membership. Thanks if that's one of you. Have a great week and I'll see you next week for our next conversation on leadership. Take care.